Wow. Does anybody else have goosebumps after that, man? That was intense. What are we, camping? Welcome to Young Adults. If you have your Bibles or your phones, go ahead and get those and go to Luke chapter 15. While you're turning there, I wanna just offer you this challenge right from the very beginning of this series. This challenge to simply be okay with maybe letting it be intense. Be okay with maybe letting it be intense. That's my challenge to you. And like embracing, this isn't the most fun thing to think about a lot, but like embracing eternity and the existence of both heaven and hell and the fact that everybody, ourselves, our roommates, our coworkers, our friends, everybody stands on the brink of one of those two places literally at every moment, you guys. We are so fragile. We are so fragile. And for some reason, God has invited us to participate in this massive mission of him bringing his lost children home. And it's not the worst thing in the world to have a little dose of urgency as a Christian in your blood. That can be a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so that's my challenge to you. Embrace Embrace the urgency because I think that's the heartbeat behind this series is urgency. And so that's my, that's my challenge to you right from the beginning. Tonight's gonna look a little bit different. I'm gonna speak the first half of this message and then the band is gonna come up and sing a new song. And then Jesse Davis is gonna come take the message home after that. And so tonight's gonna get progressively better basically is what that means. And so anyways, that's my introduction. I need to shut up now and just read the Bible because urgency, we are short on time. You guys are distracting me. Luke chapter 15, starting in verse one. It's a good place to start. Here we go. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so pause really quick. It's been said that the most important thing about you is what you believe about God. And tonight, I kinda wanna ask a slightly different question. Tonight, I wanna ask, what do you believe God thinks about you? What do you believe God thinks about you? I don't know if you've ever wondered that, what God, the creator of everything, thinks about you, but Jesus, is about to answer that question for us. Chapter, or verse three, here we go. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep. So you're a shepherd, you have a hundred sheep and then you lose one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 other sheep in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? So I don't know how many hours you've logged around sheep in your life, but they're kind of the lamest animals in the animal kingdom, I feel like God was just in a funny mood the day he designed sheep. Like they're, there's not, they're not cool in every way from the noise they make to their faces. Like sheep possess no power within themselves to help themselves, okay? You literally have to lead a sheep to water or else it will die of thirst, okay? And here's the point I'm making. Lost sheep do not find their shepherds. 
Lost sheep don't find their shepherds. Their shepherds find them. And the shepherd Jesus is talking about in this story is tirelessly, with diligence. He's looking, he's leaving everything else behind, stopping at nothing to find the one lost sheep. That is a picture of the Bible, what Jesus has done for us. Biblically, if you're in here and you're a Christian, that's not because you found God. That is because God found you, right? That's Ephesians chapter two. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith by nothing you did. He came for us, which is why we have nothing to boast about. Sheep don't have anything to boast about to other sheep other than their shepherd, right? They have nothing to boast about. This is a picture of the gospel, is God leaving everything behind, doing the unthinkable to come and find us. Verse five, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, and I love this, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Send out the invites, call the DJ, get the dance floor set up. We're gonna have a party tonight because my lost sheep has been found. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner repenting. So every Thursday night when hands go up in here to receive Jesus, heaven literally does throw a party every single time that happens. We're not making that up. That's in the Bible. I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. And then Jesus keeps going, verse eight. Here's another story. Or if that didn't work, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and suppose she loses one. Does she not stop everything she's doing? Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds that coin? That, that word carefully comes from the Greek word epimeos, which, which means with diligence, with anxiousness. Okay, so, so she, this girl, this woman, she, she's a hot mess right now, under distress, searching her house, flipping it inside out, flipping every, like turning everything upside down to find the one silver coin out of 10 that she currently lost. So she's not hurting for money. Back in Jesus' day, people usually lived from like day to day. One silver coin was kind of one day's wage, but she had nine others. She's not hurting for money. She does not need this coin, but she stops at nothing to find it. In the same way, God does not need you. He does not need you, but he stops at nothing. He does whatever it takes with great diligence to find you. I'm gonna quote Matt Chandler here, but God will tear the house to pieces to find the loose change in the couch. God will tear the house to pieces to find the one silver coin in the couch that's missing. That's how good our God is, you guys. And when she finds it, she calls her friends once again and her neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin, right? Call the same DJ that was at the shepherd party. We're gonna have party number two tonight because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God stops at nothing to find his lost kids. And so if you're taking notes in here tonight, that's, that's the title of this whole night. If you're taking notes, you stop at nothing. You stop at nothing. So write that down and, and pray this with me out loud. Dear God, help me tonight to experience what you think about me. And everybody said, 
Amen. All right. So last month, my wife and I celebrated our third anniversary. You can clap for this. It's a big deal. Yeah. Thank you. Glory to God. Glory to God, guys. Come on. It's not about us. It's about him. Third anniversary. One week after this, I lost my wedding ring. Okay? I lose my wedding ring. To make a sad story even sadder, this is my second wedding ring because I also, in fact, lost the first one. All right, and so I can relate with a shepherd who loses his sheep, right? I can especially relate to this woman who tears her house apart trying to find one little silver coin because I turned our condo inside out trying to find one little silver ring, okay? Because I'm like, I'm not gonna be the guy who loses two wedding rings in three years of marriage. I'm just not gonna be that. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll stop at nothing to find this ring. And you know, like people would tell me like, well, where, where, was, where did you see it last? Well, I don't know. Or else I'd go there and I'd get it, obviously. And so I'm like, I'm going to do this on my own. Like I close my eyes. I'm like, okay, where was it last? And I, I have like a vivid memory of placing it on a table. Could have been, like didn't know what table it was. Could have been any table in the world. But I'm like, that's not much. It's something to go off of a table. Okay, and I open my eyes, ready to go hunting. And right down here in front of me, sitting looking up at me is our new puppy. Our new puppy who a few weeks before this, swallowed a nail. I'm not kidding. Like this played out in slow motion. Like she spotted the nail, went up to it, picked it up, and I'm like, don't you dare. She looks at me, swallows it whole, and like smiles like, I ate it for you, take me to the vet, you're welcome, and then walks away. <laughs> a nail, and so I'm like, I'm looking at Luna, our puppy, and I'm like, you swallowed my ring, obviously. I put it down probably on our coffee table and you ate my ring. And so what do you do when that happens? What do you do? Every time your dog goes to the restroom, you grab a bag, you pick up her stool, which is the church word for poop, and you feel for the ring, okay? This is desperation at its finest, okay? This is the definition of I will stop at nothing. I'll do whatever it takes to find it, right? This is what Jesus would do. This is what a godly and great husband would do. So this is what I did, right? But glory to God. Again, guys, this is not about me. Glory to God. And, <laughs> and so three poops a day on average for seven days. That's 21 poops for all of you curious non-engineers out there. <laughs> whatever it takes, I'm stopping at nothing. One week into this, I, into the disappearance of my ring, I'm sitting on our bed playing guitar, probably worship. No, it was old school Justin Bieber covers. I just always want to be authentic in stage in front of you, on stage. Old school Justin Bieber, and I look up onto, like, to the dresser that's right in front of me, right next to our bed. On this dresser, we have a Bible, because we're Christians. And on top of the Bible, we have Sean's book, Transit right there. Like I'm plugging Sean's book tonight. He's here. He doesn't care. I'm going to plug your book. Like Transit, Taking You Closer to God by Sean Johnson, available at amazon.com and Barnes and Noble, or just free tonight if you accept Jesus, is on top of our dresser. And I kid you not, on top of Transit, sitting there for seven days in a row, out in the open is just my ring, like staring at me like, idiot. <laughs> 21 poops, felt. And I've been right here the entire time. And I like, I was so happy and so, like, I still blame our puppy in my heart. Like, I really do. I probably need help. I was like, thank you, God, though. Thank you. Thank, and I like call my friends, too. Like, brothers, rejoice with me. 
for my lost ring has been found. For I tell you, heaven throws a party. They're like, what? I'm like, no, I just read the Bible a lot. Don't worry about it. Okay, I'll stop at nothing, right? This is God's heart towards you. And so I'm gonna ask you again, what do you believe God thinks about you? What do you really believe that God, the creator of all, thinks about you? Because this is his heart towards you before he saves you and after he saves you as well. This is God's heart towards you that he comes and finds you. When every other major world religion says that you need to find God, Christianity stands alone as the one religion that no human being could ever think up, as the one belief system that doesn't make sense, as the one faith that is daring enough to believe that this perfect, holy, all-powerful God would do the unthinkable just to find you. But he has. This is what your God thinks about you what your God thinks about you. So I don't know if you're in here tonight and you feel forgotten, like you, you relate in the story to that silver coin that's lost, that's like tucked beneath like, between like some cushions on a couch or sitting in like a shady dark corner of a house and you're like, well, I can't see God, he probably can't see me. I don't really think he's doing anything in my life. I can't hear him. I don't know if there's anything to all these dreams that I have in my heart. I don't even really know if God cares anymore because maybe you've had people in your life, imperfect, flawed people, imperfect messengers of the perfect message who have made you feel that way. Maybe your physical dad has made you feel that way and now you're, 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 you're putting that on God, but those are two different things. This is your heavenly dad. Do not mix those up. This is what your heavenly dad thinks about you. He pursues you at all costs. He finds you. He saves you. He has a plan for you. He does care about you. He does hear you. He does experience pain with you. He does count every single tear that you cry, every single tear. He does know the dreams that are in your heart because he put them in your heart. He does know what's in your future because he's currently in your future. This is your dad, your heavenly dad, and this is what he thinks about you. And you have not ruined that. So if you're in here and you, you've had an abortion and what, like I just felt so strongly I was supposed to say that, I don't know who that is, an abortion or an affair, screwed up a relationship, screwed up a marriage, or you think back to like that incident, that compromise, oh, that mistake. Like I don't know, I don't know when that was, that might've been three years ago or three weeks ago. Do you wanna know what God has been wanting to do ever since that moment? pursue you and embrace you and call the DJ over and throw a party for you and welcome you home and remind you how much he loves you. That even in that moment when you feel just so just dirty and just angry, that even in that moment, God embraces you and says, no, 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 you're perfect and you're mine because of the blood of my son. And I will do anything to remind you of that right now. And yeah, consequences and pain are real, but, but the sin has been dealt with by the cross. Okay, so you might still experience pain, but I wanna be with you in the middle of that pain now and I will stop at nothing. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll go to the end of the earth and back. Stop at nothing to remind you that I am slow to anger and abounding in love and I will tear the house apart to find the one lost and hurting silver coin in the couch. 
whatever it takes to remind you of that. This is who your heavenly father is. Saving you is what he does. Healing you is what he does. This is just Psalms 103. Forgiving you is what he does. Lifting your life out of the pit is what he does. Crowning you with grace and compassion and love is what he does. Satisfying your desires with good and godly things and renewing your youth is what he does. Embracing you is what he does. God wants you. He doesn't just love you. That's easy to accept. He likes you, man. God wants you. And he did the unthinkable just to say, I love you. The unthinkable. God wants you. This is your heavenly father. This is what he thinks about you. And this is what I want to just let marinate for the first half of this night. What do you really believe that your heavenly father thinks about you? Because you know you better than anybody else in this room knows you, except God. But you know all the real junk in here that nobody else knows about. You know those thoughts you fall asleep with every single night. You know that dark thing and that dark thing and that dark thing. Hey, God knows it all too. He knows the ones that are coming as well and he thinks no differently of you. This is your heavenly father. And so the band is gonna sing um, a new song called Extravagant and you can just stay seated for the song because what I want you to do is just receive the promises and reminders of these words, okay? And, and receive, keep in mind, that's active, okay? Just like listening to a song is passive, but receiving promises, receiving a reminder is an active process of you letting words and truth being spoken over you. So that's what I want you to do right now. There are no qualifications for God. You have not outsinned the grace of God. You are not that powerful and not that good, even at sinning. Be reminded of that right now. His love is coming your way like a tidal wave and there ain't nothing you can do about it. So receive it right now. Receive it tonight. So let's go band. Experience what God thinks about you. Experience what God thinks thinks about you. Just so 
Um, Emily, that was beautiful. The words of that song say it's extravagant, it doesn't make sense, that we can't, this side of heaven, comprehend the way that he loves. And that's the truth. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know how he feels about you? Probably an equally important question that we ask tonight is this, and it's, do we know how God feels about the people that he hasn't found yet? the people that are still lost, people that are still missing. Doug, you did awesome. You my boy, Blue. (laughs) He read Luke 15, and Luke 15 is three separate stories that make the same point. And Charles Spurgeon says that anytime Jesus does this, anytime God does this in scripture, that it is trebly important. We need to pay attention to it because he says it three times. He's trying to make a very simple point, but he makes it three different ways so that we do not miss it. And in Luke 15, he talks about the lost coin, he talks about the lost sheep, and he talks about the lost son. And all three of these stories describe somebody that has something go missing. Something gets lost, something gets, you know, um, out into the abyss, out into nowhere, out into the wilderness. And then the story is also about a figure that goes after that object and won't stop for anything until they find it. And any Jew that was listening in the room, they would know because they were participatory learners, which is something that our generation, you know, we're not always the greatest at because, you know, it's like too much. It's like too much in the screens. But they were participatory learners. And so they knew that they needed to do two things as they were listening to these stories. They needed to, one, identify where God was in this story. Who is God? There's a character in this story that is representational of the Father God. And then, two, there is a character in this story that is representational of us. And so they would find the person that represented God, and then they would find the figure that would represent them. And in this story, God is represented by the shepherd that loses the sheep, by the woman that loses the coin, and by the father that loses his son. And in these stories, we are represented as the sheep, we are represented as the coin, and we are represented as the son. And this scripture is supposed to show us the emotion that God has about when something goes missing, church. It is to show us the emotion that we serve an emotive God. He feels emotions, do you understand that? In a perfected form. He's not a stoic God that looks down on us from heaven. He feels things in a perfected manner. God doesn't just feel love. He is love. It's perfect. And what he feels in this moment in all three of these stories is an urgency and a desperation over the things that he has just lost. He has lost something and he is desperate. I grew up in a uh, white trashy part of town. Anybody in here? Holler at me. Sean's in here. Amen, Sean. Um, 
I grew up in a white trashy part of town and white trashy part of towns are awesome, okay? Because um, here's the deal, like you aren't in farm country but everybody's got farm animals. Everybody's got chickens and cows and donkeys just like living around their house, right? And um, it's cool because like if you run out of parking spaces, you just park on the lawn, like you park wherever you want, right? It's no big deal. And, um, you know, if you run out of space in the car, it's cool. You just put a couch in the back of the bed of the truck and you're good. Like, just use a rope and it's secure, you know? And so this is where I grew up. And so there were awesome things about where I grew up. Probably one of the negative things about where I grew up is that a majority of the people that lived around me um, struggled with uh, alcoholism and different things like that. And so I remember one day, uh, this little girl named Stacia, who I was, I was six years old, and she was my best friend across the street, and she came over and she was like, hey, and her family, her whole family, aunts, uncles, moms, dads, they all struggled with alcoholism. And she's like, hey, you want to come over? And um, you, I got something to show you. You want to see it? And I was like, of course, I'm six. And she's like, okay, um, I, it's my drunk uncle. What do you think? And he's passed out. And I was like, um, I don't think so. Like, I'm good, right? And she's like, okay, well, I got something else. And it's, um, we got a litter of puppies. And I was like, girlfriend, why don't you say that first? Like, I'll, like, let's hang out with your drunk uncle and some puppies, you know? And so we go across the street and all afternoon we play with these puppies. And how many of you know like a six-year-old gets attached quickly to a set of puppies? My heart was in love. And you're like, same way a 25-year-old man gets attached to a set of puppies, right? A few days go by and I'm in my house and in my pajamas getting ready for bed. And there's a knock at our door and it's dark out. And so my dad, like any good man, if you are a man in here, go to the door when it's dark out, okay? He opens the door. And it's one of our neighbors. And he's um, intoxicated, for a lack of a better word. And he says, hey, have you seen our puppies? Have you seen our puppies? Our puppies went missing. And six-year-old little me stood behind my dad, absolutely devastated. And... I can see behind my dad out in a field, a bunch of people wandering around, um, stumbling with flashlights. And I thought, oh dear God, if someone doesn't go after the puppies besides these people, those puppies are doomed. My dad grabbed his jacket and he ran out the door. This is how our God feels. That night, I felt a fear and I felt an urgency for these small animals. This is how our God feels about people that are lost. He feels an urgency. He feels a love. He feels a desperation for them, and he will stop at nothing. The Bible says that, um, you know, Jesus is telling these three different parables, and he says, um, which one of you wouldn't leave the 99 sheep in order to go after the one? And it's a funny question, because I don't think any shepherd there would say, oh, um, I would. Like, I'm going to leave. It doesn't make mathematical sense. You don't leave 99 sheep to go after one sheep. It's numerically wrong. I mean, for all these shepherds know, like, that one sheep is probably, like, been off by a, you know, bear already. You, you huddle around the 99 because that makes business sense. They are vulnerable and they are stupid. You look after them and the one that done offed himself, like, you let him go. <laughs> and yet we serve a shepherd that says, I leave the 99 and I go after the one. He's desperate. He's like, can't help himself. 
He can't help himself. He goes after the one as if it's the only sheep he ever owned and if it's, as if it's the only sheep he ever loved. This is the heart of our father. He is desperate. He is so urgent towards these people. And if you don't believe me, just read the Gospels. Because Jesus, throughout all four books of the Gospels, this is his posture towards his people. Read chapter 4 of Mark. I'm sorry, chapter 5 of Mark. Jesus takes off in a boat across the lake. He has no reason to be going across the lake. His disciples are like, what are we doing? Oh, no, it's Jesus. Like, we just go. He's like, in the boat, boys, right? Across the lake. He meets with one man. He heals him and saves him from demon possession. And then he's like, sweet, we're good. We're out. And he comes back across the lake. He meets with a man named Jairus. And Jairus is like, my daughter is sick. And he's like, sweet, let's go. Let's save her. On his way, he meets a bleeding woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. She's had a medical problem. He gets interrupted, which you should know. God is always good with our interruptions. He heals her. He saves her. And then he moves on and he resurrects Jairus' daughter. He doesn't stop for anything. He keeps going and going and going after another lost person and after another lost person and after another lost person. John 5 where he goes to meet the Samaritan woman. The Bible says he had to go to Samaria. Listen to me, Jesus doesn't have to do anything. He's God. He only does what he wants to do. This is not a geographical issue for Jesus. He doesn't have to go to Samaria. He can walk across the Jordan if he wants. He doesn't have to go to Samaria, but he has to go to Samaria. For one woman that's lost, this is our God. This is how he feels about people that are far from him. Jesus is like straight up like Liam Neeson in Taken. <laughs> you remember this movie? If you don't know, it's about a girl who goes on a trip with her girlfriends to Europe. Hey, man, right? And she's kind of not the smartest. And so she gets abducted by a bunch of sex traffickers. And Liam Neeson's like ex-CIA, right? And the rest of the movie is him like Judy chopping and like driving cars through buildings and like, you know, shooting people up. And his whole goal, he will stop at nothing. He will stop at nothing. He will stop at nothing until he retrieves her back. Why? Because it's his kid. These are his children. God says, these are my kids and I will stop at nothing do you remember when Jesus found you, when he pursued you, when he came after you? He stopped at nothing. He stopped at nothing until he found me. He is literally undone at the thought of people being far from him. This is our emotional God. He feels a desperation when people are far from him. And listen, church, he has an emotion when people come home. Doug just read this scripture, but Luke 15, 5 through 6, it says this, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and this is talking about the sheep, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together all of his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need repentance. This shepherd is literally like, Bartholomew, bring the boys. 
Yo, 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 bring over the wild wings and the pinata you've been saving. <laughs> like, he's like, he's like, all my shepherd boys, all my shepherd boys. And he gets them all together. And they have a party. Because he lost his sheep, but now he's found. The woman that lost the coin, she calls all of her buddies, all of her friends. She's like, oh, girlfriends, Tupperware party, girlfriends. Where you at? Over my house, Arbonne, girlfriends. My place. And they eat like, you know, hummus on a stick, because that's what girls do. <laughs> the father that lost his son throws a gigantic party with all of his servants and all of his friends because this son of his was lost, but then he was found. He was dead. He was as good as dead, but now he's alive again. This is how the father feels. He feels a desperation when we are lost and when we are missing. And listen to me, his heart erupts in elation and in celebration when we come home. This is how our father feels when we come home. And God's heart, and we say this all the time, we say this all the time at Young Adults, God's heart is 1 Timothy 2.4. It's one of my favorite verses in all of scripture because I think it's the heartbeat of God. And it says this, God desires all to be saved, that none should perish. This is his dream. This is what he thinks about. This is what he breathes, that none should perish, but that all should come to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is God's heartbeat for us and for the lost. He has a desperation and an elation when they come home. And so I think the question is simply this tonight. Are you willing to feel about the lost the way that Jesus feels about the lost? My dad came home from looking for the puppies and out of the six puppies in the litter, he found two. And I remembered uh, a few years ago, I was praying, and I was praying for, um, I was praying, I think, for Red Conference, and I was like, God, like, you know, just pleading for our city, and pleading for our church, and pleading for the lost, and pleading for kingdom builders to raise up and go after lost people. And God says, you remember, you remember that memory of, the, of the, the puppies? He said, if your dad hadn't gone, they would have all been lost, every single one of them. Pope Francis recently said to pastors all across the world, he says, pastors, listen to me. He says, it is our job to welcome home lost sheep. And then he said, oh, no, no, I'm so sorry, pastors. I'm so sorry. Not welcome home. My mistake. My bad. And the Pope doesn't make mistakes, so he's like, he's doing this to make a point. Because he's the Pope, y'all. <laughs> he says, you go after the lost sheep. If we are to have a heart like Jesus, we go after those who are lost. We go after those who are missing. And I remember God, as I was praying, he said, what about you, Joss? Are you going to care for the lost the way that I care for the lost? And I want to ask the same question at young adults. Are you going to, are you willing to care about the lost the way that God cares about the lost? Are you willing to be desperate for them? Are you willing to stop at nothing until they come home? In 2014, it was the very first time that we ever did the meetup. And for those of you who were there, it was super successful. Um, we had everybody invite people that didn't know Jesus. 300 people showed up, which was about uh, a little bit more than what we had in here at the time. And Andrew Matone preached, it rained the entire time, everybody stayed, it was a miracle. And one 
man got saved that night. And as we were leading up to it, our staff got together and we said, okay, we need to write down names of people in our life. We need to go first. And so the people in our life that are lost, the people in our life that aren't saved, the people in our life that don't know Jesus, we need to write their names down. We need to pray for them. We need to invite them to the meetup. We need to pursue them. And so we all wrote down names and mine was simple and I just wrote down my family. And as I began to pray for them, God said, I just want you to tell them the gospel. They've heard it at church a couple of times. They've heard it at church, you know, because they'll come sometimes. But I just want you to tell them the gospel. I grew up in a loving home, supportive home, but a home that did not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And so I sat down one night after dinner. John and I hung out with my family. And then after dinner, I had written a letter, and I read them the letter. And I said, Look, I just want to present the gospel in a simple way, in the only way I know how. I believe that there was a fall. I think you can see it on CNN. I think you can see it in yourself and in our own hypocrisy. And I said, I believe that there is only one way to be healed of the fall, to be healed of our brokenness, and to receive eternity and um, correction of our relationship with God forever. There is only one way to God, not many ways to God. There is only one way to God. Muhammad is not the way to God. Buddha is not the way to God. Hear me tonight. There is only one way to God. And listen to me, it is narrow, but he is not narrow-minded. God says that anybody can come. Anybody can come to me if they so choose. It is open. God is not prejudiced. To be narrow-minded is to be prejudiced. It is to be exclusive with who can get in. He says anybody can come. Anyone's allowed, but it is narrow because it is only through Jesus. It is only through him. And so I presented the gospel that night, and like World War II broke out in my house. Like my sister's like, how dare you? My brother-in-law is like, shut up. (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool, you know. Lord thought you'd do something here, you know? (laughs) I drove home that night, and I just said, God, please don't stop pursuing them. Please don't stop pursuing them. 2016 Easter, it was our last Easter at Golden Campus. And I'm sitting next to my sister and my brother-in-law, who surprisingly showed up. I wasn't expecting them to, to be honest. And, you know, Sean's up there, and he does the salvation call. And I was not expecting anything from my sister, but I always look, because don't you look, right? And so he's like, if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight, just raise your hand. And I did one of these where I was like. (laughs) And my sister very definitively put her hand in the air. And we had conversation afterwards, and she said, this is, my, this is my time. This is my time to receive God. This is my time. This is my year. I know it. And she described to me just kind of what had been going on in her life for the last couple of years and what she had been through and what led her to that moment and to that place. Listen to me tonight. If you are in here and you are feeling alone and forgotten and like he has forgotten about you, God never gives up on trying to find you, on trying to rescue you, on trying to bring you to a new level. He never gives up on his children. You might have forgiven or you might have forgotten or given up on a portion of your family or a friend or a friendship, but God does not. He will stop at nothing until he retrieves back that which he lost. And so if every single person can stand in here.
I just have two questions. And the first one is this. If you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight, we have talked a big game, and maybe you came with a friend, and you weren't expecting, like, two people to, like, be coming at you with weird Bible verses. And... But I love Jesus, and he loves me. He is my sustenance. He is my life. He is my redeemer. And the Bible says that apart from him, we cannot have right relationship with God. That all have fallen short of the glory of God. And you can feel it. You can feel that fracture. I felt it at age 16. And so if you are in here and you're like, I feel the fracture. And you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior. He says that all who come to him, anyone who is unashamed of him this side of heaven, he will be unashamed of in heaven. And so you get heaven forever. But listen to me, in the here and now, you get the Holy Spirit to be with you, to bring you peace, to bring you joy, to bring you comfort, to bring you love, to bring you hope. And so if you are in here tonight, and just out of respect, with every eye closed, would you just raise your hand really nice and high to say, yes, I would like to receive Jesus as my Lord. And as, Amen. Amen, I see you. Amen. The second thing I want us to do tonight is this. If you are in here um, and you have a friend or a family member who does not know Jesus, for this first song, we're going to, like we did the very first time we did the meetup, we're going to write their names down on this piece of paper and just put them in. We've got three places up front here. We've got two in the corners at the back, and so you're welcome to go to any one of these units. And we would like for the next two weeks for you to pray for them for you to pursue them and maybe invite them to the meetup. Maybe just invite them to church. Maybe just invite them into prayer. But write down a name of somebody that does not know. And then I would love to pray just really quickly over every single person that received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so God, we thank you so much. God, I thank you for how you love us. I thank you for how you pursue us. I thank you for how desperate you are for my heart and for every single person in here, their heart. I thank you for every single person that raised their hand to receive you. And Jesus, in this moment, we just pray a simple prayer with them, God, that God, we repent of our sin and of ourselves. God, we say that apart from you, we have no hope. God, we receive you as our Lord, as our Savior, and as our life, God. I pray that you would um, help us as we move forward to give the good news, God, that this world has nothing for us, but you have everything for us. That this world may be fractured, God, but in you we are alive and we are full. And God, I thank you so much for every single person that you saved tonight. I thank you for every single person in this city that you are saving throughout all the churches. And I thank you for what you are going to continue to do in your kingdom, God, because you never give up on us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. You guys can come to the front whenever you're ready.